0: Well good morning everybody uh, It's good to be with you It's good to see uh, some familiar faces that I haven't seen uh, in a little while. Thank you for coming and and joining with us today It's uh just a pleasure to have you uh, among our family and so welcome it's uh, my honor to make sure that you're uh, that you feel at home here if uh, this is the first time you've been here or the hundredth time you've been here or it's been You know, a year and a half since you've been here because of all the things that have been happening in our world. For whatever reason, uh, you're welcome among us, and uh, we're glad to have you. If you haven't been here, we are uh, in the tail end of a series. Uh, We've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. Very familiar statements, I am the vine, I am the good shepherd. Today, we're going to be talking about I am the way, the truth, and the life. The reason that we're doing this series and the concept behind it is that all of us live with a a picture of what God is like. And we relate to that picture that we have in our minds. Whether we're uh, Christians or Buddhists or Muslims or atheists, all of us have a conception about what God is, is like, what His character is like, and how He relates to us. When Jesus comes and He says, I am... He is making reference to an Old Testament concept that God came and spoke His name to His covenant people using those very same words. It was a a revelation of what God is like and what God had planned to do. So when Jesus picks up that same statement, that same phrase, He is saying in a sense, one, I am God, but two, this is what God has always been like. I am what God is like. And so um, we, as, as people that are created in the image of God, want to relate to God rightly, the way that God intended, because we believe that that way is full of life and flourishing. So we, we want to we have the right picture, because whatever God is like, the God that we imagine, that's the God that we end up relating to for good or for bad. And Jesus has come in part that we might relate to God in the way that He wants us to, not because He's a a taskmaster, but because He loves us, because we're His kids. So so that's the idea. As I mentioned, today's going to be I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is found in John 14. We're going to look at the first nine verses. And they say this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... I would have told you that where I am going there that, that I I would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, one of the disciples, says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, another disciple, says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Any Marvel fans in the house? All right, a couple. All right. It, it's, you're not required to be one, but it might help. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you can talk to me afterwards. The, the latest, well, one of the latest Marvel movies to come out is a, a movie uh, called Black Widow. <laughs> Black Widow is the movie uh, about uh, Natasha Romanoff who is a Russian spy who eventually joins the Avengers, uh, kicks butt and takes names, and uh, becomes a superhero in her own right. She's amazing. She gives her life for her friends. Uh, Black Widow is the movie about her origin story, in a sense. It kind of completes the arc of her life. Now, uh, Mandy and I watched it the other night because we thought uh, our kids have been interested in it. Let's just go ahead and take a preview of this before we... Uh, Let our kids uh, watch this thing and I turns out you do not want to let your kids watch this movie (laughs) One of the biggest reasons is that like one of my kids um, Worst nightmares is the idea of being like taken from our family like this is a reoccurring thing and Turns out that's a big theme in the movie. So all right Just you parents if you want a little insider info there. But the movie begins with Natasha as a young girl, and everything seems to be going according to plan. She is playing in her backyard. She's there with her sister and eventually her mom. And it looks as though, when the movie begins, that this is the ideal American life. She lives in a suburban neighborhood. She has a nuclear family. They're eating dinner together. Things seem to be going well. She's happy. But soon we learn the truth that her quote-unquote family is actually a cell of spies embedded in the U.S., and the jig is up. In the blink of an eye, they, they have been discovered, and her whole world is shattered. The rug is pulled out from under her. She loses everything that she knows and loves. And you get this vignette of them leaving town, and she's like looking at all these other people being happy, doing like the American dream thing, and she just wants desperately to be able to stay in that environment, but she can't. So she leaves this ideal life uh, that she's been living for the last three years, and she's shipped off to be trained as a super spy and subjected to all kinds of cruelty in her training. You later learn in the movie, I don't think I'm spoiling too much, um, you later learn in the movie that uh, even her time with this family was a lie. They had a a family photo book, but all the photos were staged. They shot them all, Christmas, New Year's, Fourth of July, Easter, all in one afternoon. They just changed clothes, so that if the authorities came in, they would have proof that they were a real family. The Christmas presents under their tree were just empty boxes to fool others. Her mom, dad, and sister weren't actually her family. They were fellow agents. And this leads her to uh, what you you would imagine to be an incredibly jaded worldview. She desperately wants to be loved, wants to be accepted, wants to be included in something bigger than herself, but she's disenchanted, disillusioned that that kind of life, that kind of experience doesn't even exist anymore. The magic is gone. People only use and abuse you So you can trust no one. Uh, Many of us, I think, have had seasons or are having seasons currently when this seems to be the case with us. Or it seems to be the case in terms of how we relate to God. Maybe things uh, seemed magical for a time. Maybe a long period of time for you. But we've been through enough of life that that very simple world of like just me and Jesus seems like a lifetime ago. Maybe you grew up in what seemed like a healthy church environment only to learn later of the brokenness and trauma that was allowed to go on unchecked in that environment. Maybe you've watched Christian leaders that you've respected abuse their power Or use their platform to push political ideas that are completely at odds with Jesus and his kingdom. Maybe you're asking new questions of your faith that have been uh, taboo to ask before and you're unsure if the Bible can stand up to your scrutiny. Maybe you've watched or heard of people dying in a pandemic while others seem to question that there even is one in the first place. Can you relate to this disenchantment? The bubble bursting, the rug being pulled out from under you. You know things can't be the same anymore, but you don't know how to navigate the new normal. And you find yourself just being cynical. Friends, where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? when we do feel like the rug has been pulled from under us. Well, in a world that's rife with discouragement, disillusionment, and even disenchantment, where nothing is as good as it seems, we proclaim this good news. That Jesus is the way God always planned to bring us into His presence. Jesus is the truth of what God has always been like. And Jesus shows us the good life that God has always wanted to share with us. Friends, because Jesus is alive, nothing can stop God from getting what He wants, and what He wants is you and me. He is faithful to us even if we turn our backs on Him. And He wants to teach us now how to live in the reality of the Father's life and love through the Spirit who lives in us. And so church, today, bring your deepest disappointments and failures, your troubles, knowing that he will not turn you away. Uh, Today's text is one of the most recognizable things that Jesus has ever said, right? You don't even have to be a Christian to know he said it. You've probably seen it on billboards or at football stadiums or somewhere. And many of us were taught these words from Jesus from the time that we were really young. We've grown up with them. But I, I don't know about you, but, and, and if you haven't been here, I apologize, but as I've read through many of these statements that are so incredibly familiar to us, I'm finding that as I read the context around them, they're saying things that I never saw before. And they're saying things that I never heard before. And in fact, some of the ways that, many, that, that these statements have been uh, used to provoke a response or to bro- provoke faith or to bro- provoke belief is not actually what Jesus is saying. We have, we have a problem here. Now, I think this is the case of John 14, as it has been the case with so many of these other statements. And again, I I can't speak for your experience, but I'll speak for my own. That I've always imagined that Jesus is saying this statement, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I imagine that Jesus was saying this either to people who had rejected Jesus, like the Pharisees, or at least to people that were on the fence and still unsure about Jesus. And part of the reason why I've I've created this picture in my head of who Jesus is speaking to and in what circumstances he's talking is because I imagine this text primarily as an apologetic statement, as a defense of the faith, as a reason that Jesus is the Son of God, as as as, as something that's said to atheists or agnostics to get them to see that Jesus is in fact the only way to heaven. And unfortunately, I've seen this verse used poorly to put pressure on people to believe or to, to gain an emotional response out of them. The problem with that, aside from just the manipulative uh, way that it we- is wielded, is that it's at odds with the Bible. It's at odds with the Bible. It's the same problem that we've encountered with every other statement. It just doesn't fit with the context. Jesus is not giving an intellectual proposition about getting into heaven. Jesus is giving a promise, a word of comfort to His disciples who are finding themselves incredibly troubled by the events that they're witnessing around them. That changes things, folks. So let's remember, how does this little passage start? What were Jesus' very first words? What, the very first thing that Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's the preface to everything else He's going to say. It turns out that the people that He's speaking to are full of anxiety, full of fear, full of dread. Why would these particular people be troubled? They're troubled because Jesus is... He's sitting down at what we now know as the Last Supper. And he's just said to them in John 13 that one of them is going to betray him, one of them is going to deny him, and that the result of those two actions is that Jesus is going to die and to leave them behind. I mean, I'd be freaked out. You know? Jesus isn't saying this to atheists who don't believe in God to convince them that they're going to hell unless they put their trust in Him. He's saying this to His own disciples. He's saying this to the people who trusted most in Him. He's saying this to the people who left it all behind for Him. He's saying this to the people who were most invested in His mission. To the people that had the most to lose if Jesus was a fraud. I mean, can you relate to their experience? I've been a Christian for over 20 years now. I've had days where I wake up and I go, what if Jesus is a fraud? Could I bear the weight of that? And these are the questions that we don't often ask ourselves, but this is the question that the disciples are faced with, and it's why they're so troubled. What if he isn't who he said he is? What if we've done something to make him turn his back on us? What if life is never going to be the same again? What if this this ideal picture that we've been living in for the last 3 years has been nothing but a pipe dream? What if I have to go back to fishing and tax collecting? What if? How would we continue? Have the last three years been for nothing? They're freaking out because they're disillusioned and afraid. This is the context in which Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His words, no one comes to the Father except through me, it is like a, a, a shot fired into that troubled space that they're dealing with. It's meant to prepare them for what's coming next, which is ultimately Jesus' betrayal, denial, handing over to the authorities, being crucified in a horrific death, being buried, and then wondering for two and a half days what in the world just happened. All of that is about to come, and Jesus is preparing them for that experience because he loves them. Not because he's trying to manipulate them. So what what is Jesus actually saying? Now, again, I'm not Jesus. I'm going to take a crack at it, okay? Just like I did a couple weeks ago. I think he's saying something to this effect. Friends, you're going to see me crucified at the hands of the Romans and you're going to think Either He's blown it or we've blown it. You're going to think He's being taken away from us. It was all for nothing. But brothers, take heart. Because I am the way to the Father. I am the truth of what God has always been like. And my death may seem like the end when in fact it's just the beginning of the life of God that's dawning in the world. It's going to look like this is all foolishness and for nothing. It's going to look like my claims have all been false. It's going to look like my death has the last word. But watch and wait. This is how the kingdom comes. This is how God gets what God wants. This is how you get wrapped up in His life forever. Forever. It won't look like any of these things, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. These three years have not been a dream. They've not been for nothing. They've been a foretaste of what's coming next. See, again, Jesus is speaking into their deepest doubts, disillusionments, and despair. And He's saying, look, you're going to be tempted to give up. You're going to be tempted to turn back, to pack it up, to walk away. And I understand that temptation. I'm not mad about it. I'm not disappointed with you. But I want to prepare you for it. I'm telling you, there's space for you to press on and press in. These events are not removing me from you forever. They're the way that God will carry out his plans for us to be together. And Jesus goes on to talk about how this is going to happen. If you keep reading in John 14, uh, he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit coming, uh, which is a companion who will be Jesus' presence with, with his community forever. And in fact, Jesus is talking about something that is on the precipice of happening for them. We often think that, um, and, and perhaps this is still true, that when Jesus begins his little discourse by talking about the Father's house and there being many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you so that you might be where I am and all that stuff, what do we assume that he's talking about? Heaven, right? He's going up into the sky. Uh, he's preparing a room in, in, you know, behind the, the pearly gates and that one day we'll fly to be with Jesus you know, forever. That's not off the table, but I think Jesus is also talking about the fact that they are currently in a room together. And it's, a, it, it's, it's the, the room of their last experience of Jesus being in an earthly body. He's about to be taken away from them. But he says, don't worry, I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a room for you there and then when you get to that room we'll be together again can you think of the next time that the disciples are in a room together? It's after the resurrection. When Jesus walks through a a locked door and says, peace be with you, here I am. Can you think of another time after that one where, where the disciples happen to be in a room and God makes Himself known? It's on Pentecost. When the Spirit that He promises in John 14 comes on each of them and they're all, every single one of them experiences the presence of God in that moment by his power. Could Jesus be talking about heaven? He could be. But I don't think that's all he's talking about. I think he's talking about the events that are going to occur after they witness Jesus going to the cross and them being completely shattered by that reality. Jesus going, no, that's not going to take me away from you. I'm going to come and visit with you, and then you're going to come and experience me. And and guess what? When that happens, the Spirit's going to come on you, and then I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. Nothing will be able to separate you from me. Not the Romans, not sin, not height, nor depth, nor anything. Angels, demons, what do you got? Can't touch you. They can't touch you. Because we're going to be so deeply... Connected and rooted together, that nothing can separate you from me in heaven or on earth. I love that he says all of this right on the heels of predicting that he's going to be betrayed and denied. I love that. I need that. Maybe you do too. Maybe it's been one of those weeks where you're like, the questions are too big, the doubts are too great, the disappointments are too much. I just can't face what comes next. Jesus' promise comes to you in that space. Not when you're killing it. Not when you're faithful. When you're needy. When you're empty. When you're out of yourself. When you can't provide any more faith. To give to him as though it were currency, it's almost as if Jesus knew we would fail and made preparations in advance. I think part of what Jesus is saying is that the good news of a relationship with the Father is that it's not, nor has it ever been based on your performance in any way. Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to be faithful when you can't and when you won't and when you don't want to be. I'm the way everyone gets access to the Father. I I always have been and I always will be and I'm sharing that access with you. Yes, even you who are caught in your doubts and despairs. Friends, we, we may find ourselves this morning in a season where everything feels like it's on fire We may find that the old pat answers that used to suffice just don't do it for us anymore. We may be discouraged by the state of the world or by the state of the church. We may wonder if the gospel really is actually good news for us or for our neighbor. Be encouraged today. This same Jesus who came to his disciples anticipating their troubled hearts is among us this morning. He loves you. And it's, it's going to sound trite. It's like a really pastory, like preachy thing to say. And I hate that I have to say it. But I'm going to say it anyway. Like, he knows exactly where we are even if we don't know where he is. There I said it. Wasn't it trite? It's true. It's true. He's offering us the life of God even when we won't or can't look for him in the midst of our chaos, even when we don't know which way is up. He's promising the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. One more thing. I mentioned this a bit already, but Jesus isn't saying that he's the only way to the Father in order to manipulate you into believing something you don't want to believe. He's just not. I'm sorry if you've heard this verse that way before. As a leader and representative of the Church of Jesus Christ, I ask for your forgiveness. He's he's offering something better. This is probably my favorite quote. I've never used it before. I don't know why. But I have meditated on this quote, and it's given me incredible confidence in Jesus, I would say for the last five years or so. It's by a theologian named Dallas Willard. He was asked the question, what would you say to somebody who is struggling to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, who, who, you know, reads about Jesus in the Gospels and is compelled by his life, but is like, oh, I don't know, like, I'm not sure if I really want to follow him. What would you say to somebody like that? And Dallas looks at the person that asked that question, and he says this, if Jesus knew of a better way to live than following him... He would be the first one to tell you to take it. Let that sink in. If Jesus knew of a better way to flourish in life, a better way to get what God wants for you to get, He would be the first to tell you to take it. Why? Because Jesus wants the very best life for us. He's not out to manipulate or use us or coerce us into something that we don't want to experience. He cares more about our flourishing than we do. If there was a better way, He would not withhold it from you because that's who He is. And that's who God always has been. God has always been just like Jesus. He tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what He's like. This is why, friends, we we have to get a better picture of who God actually is because so many of us live with a God who wants to manipulate us into obedience, whose primary aim in life is just to, to wrangle faithfulness out of us for the sake of somebody else besides us. That's not the God who Jesus reveals. The God who Jesus reveals is a God who is primarily and and preemptively concerned about you and your flourishing and would do and will do anything to provide that for you. And it just so happens that it turns out to be his son crucified and resurrected on your behalf. He cares about you way more than you do. He cares about your family, your friends, your career. You're your, your, your flourishing more than you do. And so to you, to us this morning, be encouraged. You don't need to worry that the rug of God's presence might be pulled out from under you. Jesus isn't a rug anyway, he's a rock. And you can build your life on him because he'll never leave you or forsake you. The good news that we proclaim today is that Jesus is the way that God always planned for us to be in his presence. He is the truth of what God has always been like, and he shows us the good life that God has always had in store for us. Friends, because Jesus is alive today, nothing can stop God from getting what God wants, and what God wants is you and your flourishing. He's faithful even when we're not. And he wants to teach us how to live in the reality of the Father's life through this spirit that he gives freely to us. So church, we can bring our deepest disappointments and failures, all of our troubles into his presence knowing that he won't turn us away. How do we respond? I think we respond as though Jesus were speaking to us this morning, right? because I hope he is. (laughs) Uh, He's certainly here because he promised to be so. So when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, we take him at his word that he wants to be trusted. So how do we do that? I think we do that by actually naming our troubles. And So where do you feel troubled today? Where do you feel burdened? afraid, dreading the present or the future? Where do you feel like the rug has been pulled out from beneath you, like you're no longer standing on solid ground? I'm convinced that, one, Jesus wants us to take him at his word, and two, Jesus' word to us is timely. Friends, I know that um, there is trouble everywhere. (laughs) It feels like there's, it's, it's under every nook and cranny of life. I know so many of us are dealing with troubles we've never had to deal with before. And um, the good news, I think, is that the way is open for you to bring those troubles into the light of God's presence. So let's pray and do that. Father, I'm thankful that if nothing else, Jesus shows us that you are able to anticipate our needs before we know that they're needs. And that you make provision for meeting us in our time of need before we ever know we need it. I thank you that you demonstrate that. Ability, time and again, for your people throughout history. And we, we ask for the faith as a gift to know that if you acted that way in the past, so will you act that way today. Lord, we are a burdened people living in a burdensome world. This is nothing that you don't know. Um, but we need to know that you both see and have made provision for our troubles. And so we bring them to you now. Lord, would you meet us in the trouble that we're experiencing as we name it in the silence that we're about to have together? Jesus, you are faithful, you are good, you are God.